chapter ten of life in the sick room essays by an invalid this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. life in the sick room essays by an invalid by harriet martineau chapter ten some gains and sweets of invalidism god almighty there is a soul of goodness in things evil would man observingly distil it out shakespeare yet have they special pleasures even mirth by those undreamt of who have only trod life's valley smooth and if the rolling earth to their nice ear have many a painful tone they know man does not live by joy alone but by the presence of the power of god milne but here we are that is a great fact and if we tarry a little we may come to learn that here is best see to it only that thyself is here and art and nature hope and dread friends angels and the supreme being shall not be absent from the chamber where thou sittest emerson it is harder to be brief about our gains and privileges than about our peculiar troubles but i must try to be so for the discoveries we make though to us all glowing with freshness and beauty are to those who merely receive them as trite as any old moralities whatever one great and strange blessing to us is the abolition of the future of our own future in this life it is commonly thought a chief privilege of childhood that it is passed without thought of the future that the present is all in all i doubt the truth of this my own experience in childhood was of a painful and incessant longing for the future a longing which enhanced all its innumerable pains and embittered many of its pleasures a longing for strength of body and of mind for independence of action for an escape in short from the conditions of childhood the privilege which i then missed i have found now let it be a comfort to all sorrowing friends of those who are under any sort of doom without an assigned period to know that in such cases the sense of doom vanishes when the future becomes a blank to us it becomes presently invisible and when we sustain this change we do not contract in our desires and interests but i humbly hope the contrary the thoughts which stretched forwards with eagerness and anxiety now spread themselves abroad more calmly and with more disinterestedness there is danger of our losing sympathy with the young the healthy the ambitious for we soon require to be reminded of those states of mind and those classes of interests which involve ambition or any kind of personal regard to the future but if we can preserve these sympathies it does appear to me that the change is to ourselves pure gain the image of five ten twenty years of our present life or decline into deeper suffering ending in death makes absolutely no impression upon us 
we have not the slightest movement of a wish that it were otherwise we do not turn our heads half round to see if there be no way of escape and this is because our interests are all occupied with immediate and pressing objects in which we have ascertained our true life to consist of these objects we would not surrender one for the permission to go back to the most brilliant point of our lives wealth would be a trouble to us a responsibility we would rather decline and it is astonishing to us that any man can wish for more than is needed to furnish his children well for the probation of life ambition and its objects of course not including usefulness appear to us so much voluntarily incurred bondage and fatigue subjection to the opinions of men a dependence on their suffrages for any heartfelt object seems a slavery so humbling and so unnecessary that we could hardly wonder sufficiently at it but for the recollection that all human desires and passions are the instruments by which the work of the race is done and that ambition is far from being among the lowest of these instruments those of us who had known formerly for a sufficient length of time what it was to have fame did not need to be laid by to discover how soon and how thoroughly it becomes disregarded except for its collateral privileges and left behind among our forgotten objects of desire but our present position is the best for following out its true history for tracing that path a reach beyond the point where moralists commonly leave it the young aspirant is warned betimes without practical effect that the privileges of obscurity are irrecoverable that when he has become famous he may long in vain for the quiet shelter of privacy that he has left he feels this with a sense of panic when he has gained the celebrity he longs for and is undergoing his first agonies from adverse opinion if he would but believe us we watchers could tell him that though he can never retreat into his original privacy there is yet more complete shelter before him if he does not linger or take up his rest short of his journey's end this shelter is not to be found in indifference in contempt for human opinion that ugly mask behind which some strive to hide the workings of an agonized countenance while the scorchings of scorn beat fiercely on their brains and the jeerings of ridicule torture their ears there is no rest no shelter in contempt and human opinion can never be naturally despised though it has no claim to any man's allegiance the true and welcome ultimate shelter of the celebrated is in great interests great objects if they use the power their fame puts into their hands for the furtherance of any of the great ends for which providence is operating they find themselves by degrees in possession once more of the external freedom the internal quiet the genuine privacy of soul which they believed forfeited for ever while the consciousness of the gaze of the world was upon them 
they read what is said of themselves in print just as if it were said of any other person if it be laudatory and with a quieter feeling still if it be adverse as i shall presently describe it is sometimes said that it is a pity when great men do not happen to die on the completion of the one grand achievement of their lives instead of taming down the effect by living on afterwards like common men that clarkson should have died on the abolition of the slave trade howard after his first or second journey scott on the publication of his best romance and so on but there is a melodramatic air about such a wish which appears childish to moral speculators we are glad to have clarkson still to honour freshly in his old age we see more glory about the head of john quincy adams contending as a representative in congress for popular rights than he ever wore as president of the united states we should be glad that rowland hill should live and work as a common man for a quarter of a century after the complete realization of his magnificent boon to society in truth we behold great men entering early upon their heaven when we see them tranquilly retired or engaged in common labors after their most memorable task is accomplished the worthiest of celebrated men would i believe be found if their meditations could be read anticipating with the highest satisfaction as the happiest part of their prospect beyond the grave their finding a level condition once more being encompassed by equals or as the popular preacher puts it starting fair from the new post such being the natural desire of simple hearts there is a pleasure to spectators in seeing them while still here encompassed with fellowship not set above nor apart though enjoying the natural recompenses of their deeds the words natural recompenses remind me of another gain conferred on us by our condition scarcely separable perhaps from those i have mentioned from the extinction of all concern about our future in this world and the ordinary objects of pursuit but yet to us so conspicuous so heartfelt as to demand record as a blessing by itself i mean the conviction of the hollowness of all talk of reward for conduct the conviction of the essential blessedness of goodness what can appear more trite where is the church or chapel in which it is not preached every sunday yet we who heard and believed through all the sundays and weekdays of many years seem but now to have known this truth our knowledge is now tested by the indifference with which we behold men struggling for other objects under a sort of insanity as it appears to us while the interests which animate us to sympathy are those of the pure in heart seeing god before they die and the dread which chills our souls is for the multitude who live in passion and die in moral insensibility to us it appears so obviously the supreme good to have a healthy soul serenely reposing in innocence and spontaneously working for god and man that all divergence of aims from this end seems madness and all imagery of rewards for moral desert the most profane of mockeries it is a matter of wonder to us that we ever conceived of royalty otherwise than as a title to compassion 
of hereditary honours as desirable of fame as an end and we are apt to wonder at others in their turn that they do not perceive the most blessed of our race to be the moral reformers of each age passing from strength to strength although wearing out in their enterprise and the placid well-doers whether high or lowly in their service the appendages themselves of such a state the esteem honour and love which wait upon moral desert almost vanish from our notice when we are contemplating the infinite blessedness of the peace of a holy heart then we have not to dwell on a matter already spoken of a peculiar privilege in the peculiar loveliness which the image of death assumes to us in our long leisure all sweet and soothing associations of rest of relief from anxiety and wearing thought of re-entrance upon society a society how sanctified of the realization of our best conceptions of what is holy noble and perfect all affections all aspirations gather round the idea of death till it recurs at all our best moments and becomes an abiding thought of peace and joy when we hear or read of the departure of any one we knew of the death even of the youngest or the most active a throb of congratulatory feeling is our first emotion rather than the shock which we used to experience and which we now see sustained by those around us reflection or tidings of survivors may change our view but so does the image of death become naturally endeared to us that our first spontaneous thought is of favour to those who are selected for it i am not recommending this impression as rational but intimating it as characteristic of a peculiar condition it is no slight privilege however to have that great idea which necessarily confronts every one of us all clothed with loveliness instead of horror or mere mystery till now we never knew how any anticipation may be incessantly filling with sweetness it may be doubted whether there is a more heartfelt peace experienced at any point of our moral progress than in the right reception of calumnious injury in the immediate return from the first recoil into the mood of forgiveness there is something heavenly even to the novice in the compassion for one's calumniator there is pain and it is a pain which increases with experience of life and with our insight into the peril and misery of an unjust and malicious habit of mind but in the act of pitying forgiveness there is a solace so sweet as to make one wonder how long men will be in adopting this remedy for their injuries any one who has been ambitious and with success will if he be wise be ready to declare that not the first breath of fame was to him so sweet as the first emotions of forgiveness the first stirrings of the love of enemies after his earliest experience of the calumny by which all public effort is sure to be assailed i am not supposing cowardly acquiescence in insult and injury i am supposing the due self-assertion made or defence found not to be practicable this is all that others 
have to do with a man's self-communion on the matter is his own private affair and little know the systematic calumniators who for parties or prejudices sake assail those who can only return silence how they really work in some hearts they seek to wound in some they may excite rage or bitter anguish but there are others probably many in which they cause no severer pain than a pitying sorrow for themselves while they kindle a glow of courage patience and benignity they cause a more exquisite mingling of sweet emotions than were ever aroused by praise the more defenceless the injured the more private and the more heavenly are these passages of his soul and none are more defenceless than sick prisoners if subject to such injuries in the world where they could by their presence perpetually live down false aspersions aspersions on their opinions as well as on their conduct helpless indeed are they when living out of sight dumb in regard to society and through the press then if their party foes take the opportunity to assail and misrepresent their opinions and their acts those foes can have all their own way abroad in the world but the very air of our sick-room turns them from foes into best friends after one moment sickening at the poor malice and cowardice our thoughts fix on the high and holy truths to which they direct us on the transience of error the nothingness of fame in the serious passages of life the powerlessness of assaults from without while we possess ourselves till we end in a calm and sweet mood of contentedness for ourselves and affectionate intercession for the victims of angry passion or of sordid interests it does not move us painfully to think of our helplessness to contemplate leaving life without explaining our opinions or justifying our views and enterprises what is just and true will abide and prevail and as for our claims to a share in the reputation they seem in the sick-room worthy of only a smile if we wrought for reputation we must suffer sooner or later for the lowness of the aim and now may be our time for taking a new growth through pain but if we wrought for truth and good we are not susceptible of the venom of the party slanderer his sting proves no sting but a beneficial touch rousing in us many tender and resolute and benignant feelings these may be awakened wherever such a touch reaches us but nowhere perhaps so sensibly as in the privacy and lowliness of the sick-room i need say nothing of the benefit brought to us by the same act in the sympathy of generous minds of the blessing of sympathy i have already said so much that i dare scarcely approach the subject again and never as all know does ministering affection so abound as towards the injured when injury and helplessness unite their claims there is no end to the multitude of hearts that throng to defend and aid they are far more than are needed for few extremely few are those who venture or who like to send the enmity of public life into the retreats of privacy 
very rare i believe is the species of men who insult when all the world knows there can be no reply still such cases are witnessed and of their operation i have spoken the greater number of invalids are under no such liability but all may be subject to some injustice some misrepresentation which may reach their knowledge and their emotions both of recoil and of renovation may be like in kind and even equal in degree to those i have intimated if occasions for forgiveness should arise and to whom do they not may its relish be as sweet to them as it assuredly is to some more extensively tried an inestimable gain from the longest sickness is the outgrowth of the scruples and other conflicts which constitute the chief evil of merely long sickness of some perils and pains of our condition i have spoken and i must therefore declare that there is a remedial influence in the very infirmity which appears to create them if it be but continued long enough if the struggle be not broken off before it is fairly exhausted victory will declare itself on the side of peace we may be long in passing through the experience of weakness humiliation and submission but up through acquiescence we must rise sooner or later true things separating themselves infallibly from the transient and all that is important revealing itself in its due proportions till our vision is cleared and our hearts are at rest if the invalid of five years can smile at some of the anxieties and scrupulosities of his first season of retreat much more clear-sighted must the ten years thinker be in regard to the snares and troubles of his early or midway term if amidst the gain as little as possible be lost the privileges of our state may be such not as indeed to compare with those of health and a natural mode of life but as may satisfy a humble and rational hope that our season of probation is not lost nor materially wasted the sick-room is a sanctuary of confidence it is a natural confessional where the spontaneous revelations are perhaps as ample as any enforced disclosures from disciple to priest and without any of the mischiefs of enforcement we may be excluded from much observation of the outer life of men but of the inner life which originates and interprets the outer it is scarcely possible that in any other circumstances we could have known so much into what depths of opinion are we not let down to what soaring heights of speculation are we not borne up what is there of joy or sorrow of mystery and marvel in human experience that is not communicated to us and all this not as if read in print not half revealed in the form of hints to such as can understand not in general terms as addressed to the general but spoken fully and freely with that particularity which fastens words upon the soul for ever with those living tones of emotion which make the hearer a partner in all that is and has been felt here we learn that the whole experience of humanity may be contained in one bosom through such participation as we ourselves entertain and even that all opinions the most various and the most incompatible may be deposited in one intellect 
for gradual review without inducing scepticism and possibly to the strengthening of the powers and privileges of faith goethe the seer of humanity formed in himself the habit of agreeing with all the opinions uttered to him alleging as his ground that there is always a sense in which everything is true and that it is a good to encourage and an evil to discourage any belief arrived at in natural course there are men with minds of a far lower order but still somewhat superior to the average who do precisely the reverse they see far enough to be aware that there is always something to be said to the contrary of what they hear uttered and they cannot help saying it they fall into a habit of invariable opposition justifying the practice to themselves by the plea of impartiality of resistance to dogmatism of love of truth and the like i disapprove of both habits both practically injure belief and damage the interests of truth the natural operation of goethe's method was to encourage in many indolence in the pursuit of truth and carelessness about opinions in some doubts of the very existence of truth and in all reflective persons a keen sense of the insult conveyed however unintentionally by such treatment far worse however is the influence of the antagonist order of minds not only from their comparative numbers for there is not a goethe in five hundred years but from the direct operation of their method and their example a man who forms a habit of intellectual antagonism destroys more than can ever be repaired both in his own mind and in those which he influences he allows no rest in any supposition even to those who have not power or leisure to follow out the research he cuts their own ground from under them and does not establish them on any other for he himself appears to be established on none men of this order are above all others fickle in their opinions complacently supposing themselves impartial investigators into truth they are in fact the sport of any one who discerning and playing with their weakness can put them up to the assertion and defence of any opinions whatever and lead them into daily self-contradiction what ensues is seen at a glance they tamper with truth till the structure of their own intellect becomes fatally impaired they denounce as bigots all men of every order of mind who remain steady in any opinions and especially such as continue to hold opinions which they have themselves quitted they never doubt of their own fluctuations being progression and that they are leaving all stable believers behind they learn no caution in the publication of their so-called opinions from their own incessant changes but rather pique themselves on their eagerness to exhibit and insist upon each new view and enjoy the occasion it affords for complacent amazement at all who hold the positions which they have themselves abandoned it may be said that such men lose their influence and with it their power for mischief it is true that by degrees more and more decline argument with them and they cease to have any convincing power because it is seen that they themselves do not rest in permanent convictions but their disturbing power remains they can destroy though they cannot build up they can unsettle minds which yet they cannot lead they can distress and perplex the humble and narrowly informed they can startle not only the slothful who will turn to sleep again on the plea of the foible of the awakener but the nervous and feeble who need repose and worse than all they can irreparably injure the young by spreading before them wide fields of inquiry and then hunting them out of every corner in which they would be disposed to stay and rest and think 
men of this kind of mind have a certain power of sympathy with every species of opinion and this good and attractive quality it is which mainly causes their self-deception and aggravates their power of injury they mistake it for candour at the very moment that they overflow with intolerance towards holders of opinions which they have relinquished the result in such cases is always the same intellectual ruin throughout the department of the understanding however eminent the dialectical powers may appear through the constant practice which has increased their original strength and with the intellectual damage must be combined great moral injury goethe's method appears to be dangerous but the opposite one is fatal to us the depositories of vast confidences on these matters it appears that there is no manner of necessity for either practice we can avouch from what we witness that there may be sympathy with every order of understanding and every phase of opinion without either hypocrisy or a tendency to disputation or a surrender of differing views we see how there may be an intrepid and continuous avowal of opinions without disturbance to the unlearned and the feeble we can fully agree with goethe as to the unequalled mischief of endangering belief in that vast majority of minds which have other work to do than to investigate matters of opinion without seeing it to be at all necessary to countenance what we know or believe to be error we can fully agree with his practical antagonists as to the nobleness of candour and the evils which ensue from dogmatism while at the same time we would sooner die than dare to tempt one intellect to follow us after one's self-conviction of such an instability as theirs where there is a habit of mutability there is intellectual infirmity as is shown with indescribable clearness to us gazers into the mirror of events it is a singular privilege granted to us to witness the workings of the best method and of that simplicity and godly sincerity which is unconsciously adopted by the wise to whom truth is neither the spirit of rashness nor of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind it has occurred to me at times that a second volume on the formation and publication of opinions less popularly useful perhaps than the existing one but deeper and more comprehensive might be an invaluable gift from the hands of some one in a retreat in a sick retreat as illness invites confidence from the hands of some one who would know how to use with equal discretion and intrepidity his singular opportunities one of our most valuable discoveries is often made elsewhere but is not sufficiently acknowledged and acted upon we find after a trial of many methods that we learn to endure and achieve less by direct effort than by putting ourselves under influences favourable to the state of mind we seek we have discovered the same thing before in regard to mending our faults we have found that childhood and youth were the seasons of resolution and that perhaps we have not since cured ourselves of a single fault by direct effort i am persuaded that instances are extremely rare of rectification by such means i have myself amended only one bad habit and that a very trifling one by express effort since i was twenty and i could point out only two or three of all my acquaintance that i know to be capable of self-improvement in that direct manner and i cannot but honour them in proportion to my sense of the difficulty and rarity of this exercise of moral power 
yet how people go on expecting reformation in sinners from a mere conviction of the reason actuating the will as they suppose infallibly the consequence of which foolish expectation is that the true appliances are neglected wordsworth has it resolve the haughty moralist would say this single act is all that we demand alas such wisdom bids a creature fly whose very sorrow is that time hath shorn his natural wings instead of losing time and practically invoking despair by exhorting to impossible flights wise guardians will rather remove the sufferer into an element of new enterprise or one which may gradually exhaust and destroy his parasitical foes of habit we sufferers experimentally ascertain this very soon we find how little reason we have to trust to efforts of resolution under circumstances which tend to enfeeble resolution we might be capable as so many others are of any amount of effort on a single emergency but when we have to deal with a permanent infliction to make the best of a difficult mode of life we find that we must put our trust in abiding influences and not in a succession of efforts we therefore lay aside defiance we submit ourselves not to our troubles but to every kind of natural preventive remedy and solace we arrange our personal habits so as to husband our ease and to conceal our pain and we place our minds under such influences intellectual and spiritual as may best nourish our higher powers and occupy our energies to the alleviation if it may not be to the exclusion of the suffering whose challenge we will neither entertain nor defy among other merits of this method may be reckoned this that it helps to introduce us to a privilege which may be disregarded by many but which to us is inestimable that of causing pleasure rather than pain to those connected with us it is the prerogative of the healthy and happy to give pleasure wherever they go it is the worst humiliation and grievance of the suffering that they cause suffering to the far-seeing invalid who is aware not only of this immediate effect but of its remote consequences this is the most afflicting feature of his condition if we can by any management evade this liability we have cause to be grateful indeed if by submitting ourselves to all softening and ennobling influences we can so nourish and educe the immortal part of ourselves as to subdue our own conflicts and present our active and enjoying aspect to those who visit us we are absolved from the worst penalties of our state if as years pass on we find ourselves sought from the impulse of inclination as well as from the stringency of duty if we are permitted to see faces light up from ours and hear the music of mirth succeed to the low serious tones of sympathetic greeting we may let our hearts bound with the assurance that all is well with us when we cannot refuse to see that children come to us eagerly and that our riper companions stay late by our sofa and come again and again till nothing short of duty calls them away any one might envy us the feeling with which we lie down again in our solitude 
we are not proud like the young beauty with her conquest over hearts or like the political or literary hero with his sway over the passions or the reason but we are elate and not without cause elate in our privilege of annihilating the constraint and distaste inspired by our condition and of finding ourselves restored to something like an equality of intercourse with the healthy in soul the best and highest must ever be selected from among the healthy and the happy from among those whose conditions of being are the most perfectly fulfilled but without aspiring to their consummate privileges we feel ourselves abundantly blessed in such a partial emancipation as permits us on occasion and without shame to join their glorious company the end end of chapter ten end of life in the sick room essays by an invalid by harriet martineau